Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Multi-Site Masters podcast. This is the podcast series that explores the art of leading and growing multi-site businesses, especially in the hospitality and retail sectors. So my name is Lee Sheldon and I'll be your host for today's episode. I'm also co-founder of the MMU Training and Development Consultancy, in which we're dedicated to helping managers achieve consistent operational excellence, leading to sustained superior performance. So welcome to another episode of Multi-Site Masters. You could call this our Christmas episode, or I suppose it depends what time of the year you're listening to it. However, we're recording it in the dying weeks before we all go off and enjoy our Christmas break. You may be now regressing all of the pounds that you spent over Christmas, or regressing the pounds that you put on over Christmas. However, in order to uh, tackle one of those thorny subjects of New Year's resolutions and how you grow and develop yourself, I am delighted today to be joined by two experts in this field who are going to give us the benefit of their pre-Christmas wisdom, or whatever you happen to be listening to it, wisdom. To my left, I have Jane Sunley. Now, Jane is the best-selling business author and founder of the Purple Cube Consultancy, which helps brands become amazing places to work. On my right, we have Daniel Mills, Senior Learning Technology Consultant at The Working Manager, which is an organisation which provides learning technologies which drives high user engagement. Daniel is also a co-founder of MMU, uh, just for complete transparency. So he's been, in a sense, talking with two hats on today. But our focus, our topic for today, is how do we take charge of our own personal development? And particularly, can technology in these days of apps, can it help us to do so? So Jane, ladies first, if you don't mind. <laughs> if you insist. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts about, if someone said to you, what are your top tips for how I take control of my development? It's January, I want to take charge. What do I do? I think you've got to start with the end in mind, and that might take a bit of dreaming over Christmas. So if you are listening to this in December, put aside a bit of time to think about what might be. And then I think it's about breaking it down into manageable chunks and kind of attacking them one by one, really. And also not putting too many limitations on it. It's easy to say what you don't want, and it's easy to say what you might not be able to do. But the trick really is to turn it around and say, okay, this is what I really want to do. This is what will make me happy. And I'm going to have a plan for getting there. That's an interesting point because that's one of the key reasons why people don't meet any of these resolutions because it's always focused on what they don't want rather than that, that positive view. Daniel, what's your thought? Again, your top tip to someone wanting to take control of their personal development in 2018? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And building on, on Jane's comments, I think it really starts with, well, where am I now? Because too often do we lose sight of where we are um, because we're focused on where we want to be. So I think it there you know, starts the opportunity to look at, well, what am I good at? What are my strengths? What are the things that I enjoy in a role? Have I got an opportunity to do more of that in my current role or within a, a different section of my business, uh, whether it's in a different team, or do I have the opportunity to maybe develop others to be good at the things that I'm good at? With that kind of uh, reflection comes then, well, what are the things that I need to learn or develop in um, against what is it that I'm trying to achieve? Um, so that's a, a good opportunity to almost look to the future uh, around what is the job that I'm looking for? Is it about growing my role or my reputation internally? Or is it about looking at the organization that I'm working for? And is it going in the direction that I see myself um, in the longer term? Because I think people are, are less likely to stay with jobs uh, throughout their entire career and are much more open and willing to, to move for the right careers. 
steps or, or jobs that they're looking to aspire towards. You both made me think that whether you consciously did it or not, you've effectively used the G and the R from grow in terms of what you're going in mind, but what's the current situation? Mm. Now, the tinge to this conversation is can technology help us? And I'm going to be a little bit of devil's advocate because I see people spending, to be frank, lots of money organisationally on systems that they don't use or don't use particularly effectively. And I also see people buying their own apps, uh, buying their own technology, and it's kind of... I uh, hope people won't mind me saying this, but I heard this phrase, app porn, where you just get the latest app and then you move on to the next one. So how do we get people to use technology? Is there a place for it now? I think absolutely there's a place for it, but I don't think it's the answer to the initial um, question that you just asked us. I think too many organisations put technology at the forefront of their business strategy without actually spending enough time defining what that business strategy is. You know, what are the one to three things that they need to achieve over the next 12 months or 18 months or three years, whatever time frame that they're working towards? And then how will they align their people in terms of the processes or tasks that people do? And then linked to the HR agenda and the L&D side is how do those organizations and, and those functional groups really enable people to get better at the jobs or tasks that actually align to the organizational strategy? Technology for me is about um, producing or, or holding the repository of content in one place for people to gain access to, but most importantly, evidencing how successful the organisation is in, in achieving its goals, You know, whether that be through individual person development plans, success, KPIs. Technology almost comes at the end of that uh, almost uh, model, so to speak. It should never be placed at the front, in my opinion. Okay, so Jane, this idea that the technology cart has become before the horse, do you see that in organisations? And Burpacute is all about helping organisations become amazing places to work. How are those who are doing it using technology if they are? Uh, yeah, they're using technology well to underpin the important things. So building on, yes, it's about strategy, it's also about culture. And really, people spend so much money and they invest in all sorts of training and all sorts of tech, that if they've got a lousy culture and their leaders are not leading very well and it's all a bit negative and top-down and old-school, nothing you ever put in is ever going to work. So I would say, of course, think about technology, but don't be bedazzled by all the hard sell that's going on out there at the moment, of which there is a lot. And just start with, you know, as a board, we've got to start at the top. What do we want to be? What are we as an employer? Where are we going? Yes, what's our strategy? And how are we going to do it? How are we going to get these people that we need to deliver for us? And then what is our culture? And that's not about having a sign on the wall. That's about every single person in the organisation being behind it, which is very easy when you're small and less easy as you grow. And typically we work with a lot of growth companies who want to capture the magic, the X factor, if you like, and keep that alive as they grow. And that's when technology can help to underpin all of that and, and keep the career conversations going and keep the day-to-day -day dialogue going and keep the learning going and making sure that people have got somewhere to go and find what they need when they need it and it's not being done to them. And I think that's really vital. And that, and that links into a, the great theme of user engagement, you know, who is the user that's engaged, is it the boardroom because they are either returning on an investment or they're looking to grow in terms of profit or service motives, but actually when you take that down to the grassroots and the operational level, how engaged are they? 
um, through the decisions to implement technology in their business because often it's led by either a board or a procurement or an IT function. How many people actually um, at the operational level get involved with choosing the system or actually identifying the right system for the business and the culture that you're trying to aspire towards? And with bespoking the content because you know you want people to want to go and use this tech and therefore it all has to be in the same place. So don't go and buy eight apps and say to everybody, we've got all these fantastic apps now because nobody's got time to even think about where they are and what they do. So it's got to be integrated. You've got to have some sort of central way of doing it. I think the brilliant thing these days is that you know people used to have to buy these big kind of boring end-to-end -end systems that were functional and okay, but weren't very cool and sexy. And now, because integration is so much easier, you can go to all of the innovators and get all the best bits and then put them all together in one place. And why wouldn't you want to do that? That's it, create almost a front door through which you can access what it is that you need at that given point of time. Um, and it really comes down to that engagement piece is I will engage with technology when it's needed and necessary for me in a way that I want to interact yeah. with it. And when there's content on there that I want to see every day, or I want to comment on, or I want to um, give dialogue to somebody else. And I suppose if you can create that, it drives itself. You know, you could stand your people in a room and tell them endlessly to use tech, but if it's no good, they don't like it, it doesn't do anything. It's the kind of what's in it for me factor. It's just not going to work without that. And the content is paramount to that, as Jane said, because um, it all starts with the content. The technology and the systems just display the content that goes in. So if it's not created uh, in an engaging way, if it's not kept up to date, if it's not relevant to the job that I'm doing or the job that I'm aspiring to do, and if nobody comments on, on my activity or recognizes my activity or my achievements as a result, it will die very quickly. You mentioned, Jane, the importance of user-generated content. Again, is that a buzzword that the, the e-learning brigade like us to, to believe that those of you are going to be out there generating this content? Um, I think it's common sense, actually. It might be a buzzword, but if you imagine you've got all of these people who are in some way expert in what they do, what a resource. So if you could say to people, share the thing you're best at, and it's very easy to do. You know, you don't have professional videos all over. They can do it on their phone. They can upload their stuff. There's a bit of recognition and pride from them. It's nice for people to learn from their peers and not, you know, some person who turns up in a suit and tells them how to do things. Sorry, but people still do that. Um, and, you know, I think there's a massive strength in that because it all drives itself. You don't really have to do very much. And if you think, you know, I've got daughters who are, you know, 19 and 21, they want to know something, they either ask someone or they go on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So technology should be the equivalent of asking someone or going on YouTube, but with your content that is bespoke to you, because on YouTube there's 29 different ways of doing something. Whereas if you've got your own repository, then that's the official way of doing it. Yeah, you can censure it, but it's the right yeah. way of doing it. It's interesting that point about YouTube is that I think people are now off the slick production values and actually the yeah. down and dirty with yeah. a camera on your phone is acceptable. As long as you can hear it, it's acceptable quality. Short and sharp is probably yeah. what people want yeah. from a video perspective. There's a video on our website that's about uh, what's it like to work at Purple Cube. Yeah. And my guys made it with no professional input whatsoever. And it's probably you know one of the worst videos you've ever seen. But it's also one of the best videos you've ever seen because it comes from the heart. Yeah. And those people built it and, and we didn't. So I think it, there's a massive strength in, in that kind of thing. Is user-generated content, Daniel, basically videos, or is there other content, other formats that people can use? Absolutely, and I think when you look at video, well, when you look at learning content, we shouldn't just 
constrain our mind to thinking, you know, e-learning or video. There's a whole variety of different assets now, podcasts, you've got articles, you've just got uh, interactions with people and actually reflection logs that come up from that. You've got um, almost a bit like this kind of subscription models that you see now from Netflix or the, the kind of music streams. It's, it's having content that's recommended to you either by others or based on an interest or a subject matter that you've kind of viewed or, or seen before. And again, it comes down in part a little bit to uh, learning preferences, and but also to the point that Jane made around time available. Um, the average attention span is probably no more than sort of between two and three minutes. So it's about little and often having it in a bite-sized way that has the ability to be viewed on a laptop or on the go from or to work, from example. But again, it's the commenting and it's the feedback or the asking questions, which is so important to generate the discussion because you want these people, when they've learned that content, to apply it or at least start talking about it. And if they don't, it becomes a bit, bit endless or a bit bottomless in terms of its, its use, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree, absolutely. I sound a little bit nervous that my average attention span is below average, so that sounds a bit scary. <laughs> um, it sounds to me the old model is dead, Jane, would you say? Yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, it's just going to be, isn't it? You know, the, the rate of change now is so fast but people are still doing things the way they did it 20 years ago and it's just crazy and I don't understand it actually but maybe it's a comfort zone thing but people need to get out there and you know think about now. Yeah a lot of the providers have uh, a kind of comfort zone and we've talked a lot of the, the comfort zone areas being where there there is no real need for, for formal interaction when you're very much doing the instructional piece of, of learning you know compliance or statutory training is a very good example but that's just one part of your ecosystem um, and it's around what other parts of my um, portfolio do I need to, to have, you know, reward, recognition, uh, user-generated content interaction. It's about, you know, if I was to create a jigsaw, what are the pieces that I need? Not all at once because I think that's also um, the, the common mistake that lots of, of people make is that they tend to spend a lot of money on technology from the outset where if they look at how useful and effective that technology has been, it, it, is, a, it is a journey. Um, it takes a number of months to embed, and, and to Jane's point, it's that cultural change. Um, it can't just happen overnight. It needs to be reinforced from the top. And as soon as you can get traction in one system, it's about what's your marketing or communication plan that actually keeps people coming back. Don't advertise or, or market the functionality of the technology because, you know, Everything can do every, uh, all technology can do everything these days. It comes down to, well, what's in it for me and what's the content that's coming? And then where will I find it in the system and how can I start to interact with it? Mm -hmm. that's, that's the key point. You make me think, um, people who know me, I'm a bit of an Apple fan, and the, the way Apple advertise and market their product isn't really about the specs and the hardware, it's how you use it and how it makes an impact on your life. It sounds to me, Joe, if I was coming to you and I'm saying, I want help to make my place amazing, you'd be saying technology can play a part, but actually the, the, the central different model is, is, is dead, and actually what you need is a tool that I can interact with, upload my own content, so there's a place for it, but it has to be a different approach. I think it depends who they are and what they've got, really. Mm -hmm. I think it all starts with employee engagement, which might not be a technology piece, and actually people don't know what employee engagement is, and I know this because we did research last mm -hmm. year, and people are very confused. Some people think it's a survey, so they think they've done their survey, tick, we've done employee engagement. 
somebody said to one of my guys the other day, oh, we're not doing engagement this year, which tells you that they don't understand that that is something that is in day in, day out. It comes from managers, leaders, supervisors, everybody. It's simply about making your people feel as if they want to be there and give their best performance. And if there is tech, whatever it should be, that will help with that, that's great. But the business has got to be committed to engaging their employees and understand what that means. That it's you know it's a it's a kind of lifelong work really, um, and that's where people get get mis, uh, mixed up. They say things like, "Oh, I've bought um, a new app that you know gives you ten pence off your coffee on the corner. That's my engagement done now." And it's not all those little things will help, but it's it's bigger than that. Okay. No, I absolutely agree. So it, it, it does start around uh, the cultural piece. I agree with the, the sentiment on engagement. Um, but almost conversely, the technology can help assist measure the uh, engagement levels, but it should also be directly linked to it as well. So you should be helping the employees realize the connection so that when they said X in whatever survey that was being carried out, We've actually listened to that because so many employee engagement surveys are completed, but you don't get to hear the results. Maybe for six, nine, twelve months out there are possibly never, and actually. possibly never. Yeah. I agree, um, but all the time it's just it comes back down to the the communication, the the pull factor. You want to pull people in rather than pushing them towards technology. Because once you've kind of given them that hook and they can see the business benefit, they can also see sometimes the monetary benefit to them of, of getting on board. Generationally, it's, it's harder to engage some of those that are well established in their careers now compared to those that are coming into the um, into the, the kind of workplace because they're more attuned to technology. They've grown up with it, so it's about capturing that tacit knowledge that that Jane was saying, giving them the environment where they can share their expertise in a non confrontational, non power diminishing way that actually recognises them continuously for their achievements and what they've done and the. The opportunity that the dare I say the youth of today have to, to learn from their elders or that experience and actually use that as part of their toolkit to go forward and build their careers in, in whatever way they they choose to do yeah I, I can't understand why everybody wouldn't digitize other people's stuff and digitize everything across this yeah. whole operational piece because who wants to work in a business now when you're growing up with technology that doesn't have that? Mm. It's crazy. And, you know, today, I'm going to call them today's worker. Uh, you know, they want to progress. They want career conversations. They want mentoring. They want all of those things. And you can facilitate all of that through tech. You can't facilitate and you cannot replace one-to-one, face-to-face dialogue, which they must have. But you can make sure through technology that that happens and they can go to it, find it when they want it, request it when they want it, and that puts them in the driving seat, and that's massively important. And certainly from one of the things that the working manager is looking at in terms of career conversations is not only assisting the individual to um, look at their own career uh, and go through almost career tactics in a a variety of different career-based areas, but also recognising that the managers themselves may not be great at facilitating career conversations with others, because then they themselves haven't had that. So it's around giving them coaching style questions that can actually help aid that person wanting a career conversation to become effective at what they do based around an area. So it could be around building uh, a plan or a direction, for example. It could be around what alliances or, or kind of partnerships, networking opportunities do you have? What about your reputation? So from entry to exit, your career conversation will change based on where you are and what your motivations are at that particular time. 
Exactly. And then, of course, you, you get a fantastic bit of uh, technology like Talent Toolbox where it will make them have the right dialogue using the tools that you describe. So this is where it all works together, really. Mm. But it all comes back to what is it that I'm trying to mm. achieve and, and giving the business benefit and the individual benefits there. Just take this back a moment to let's say we've got listeners who are not working in a large organisation that has invested in any kind of technology at this point. So they're kind of saying, well, what can I do in a small company or just on my own to, to make a, a difference in the way in which I plan my own development? What tips would you give me about how, whether I'm using technology or not, I can take control? Because it's that time of year when I'm thinking about taking control of my own development. How can I do it if I don't have a company infrastructure to help me? We'd like to go with that one first. Yeah, I th well, we, we kind of said it at the beginning. It is about where am I now and where do I want to get mm -hmm. to. And I think it's about, a lot of this is about assertiveness, is having the conversation with whoever you need to have the conversation with about, look, you know, I really like it here. I'd like to stay. And one day I might want to do something else. Can we have a reasonable conversation? And quite frankly, every business now should not be expecting people to stay forever. And isn't it terrible when they leave? You know, it should be about on their first day. Okay, welcome to our business. Where do you want to get to eventually? Let us help you get there. And, and I realise that the individuals listening to this might not have this, but I think you have to t help to drive it, not in an aggressive way. In a, can we have a conversation about my future? I'd really value your input. And just to have the conversation. And, you know, if you work somewhere where people are saying, I'm not interested in talking about that and get on with your job, then go and work somewhere else, mm -hmm. quite honestly. It's a buoyant market. And certainly it's that self-driven culture. And I think businesses are playing catch-up a little bit to the ever-increasing demands and wants because as they get exposed to that technology or other cultures from friends or peer groups that they work with, social media or, and just generally to the point that Jane was making around just YouTubing or, or Googling. There's there's a whole raft of different case studies and different examples that are coming out more and more um, around how progressive organisations are being um, culturally. And I think that is very appealing. Um, and it does give you the opportunity to, to step back and say, is that me right now? Or if not, to Jane's point, let me go and find that. But it does come back to the individual reflection that we talked of at the beginning. Yeah, I think everybody's got almost every bit of knowledge ever in the palm of their hand mm -hmm. now. There's so no there's no excuse. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're not very tech savvy, then go and learn from your child or your cousin or your nephew or whoever, because there'll be someone who can help. But you can find out anything. Everybody knows everything at the speed of light. So get on board with that. So if it's not in place in your workplace, just go and find out what's out there on the internet. I'll ask if there's one that stands out for you. So let me give you an example. As a tool that anyone can access, something like getabstract.com. Now, there is a fee to pay, and that basically takes business books, self-development books, and gives you kind of a potted, compressed version of it. You have to pay for that. But there are other tools out there, like MindTools, if I remember rightly, which is an app you can download, content and everything from management to leadership. So are there any technology apps or sources that you would say that, that could help you if you're on your own, you're a one-man band, or your boss doesn't care, and you don't need a company infrastructure. Okay. Certainly, there are there are bodies out there and, and kind of research panels. Um, personally, I look a, a lot at kind of Josh Burson and the Burson research um, that he does, and certainly to the point that Jane and I have both been making around: is the traditional ecosystem dead? Um, Josh has a particular view that he's evolved over the years and particularly of this year he says well, no it hasn't, it's just become part of a much wider ecosystem. The other kind of 
research body that, that I kind of look at is the Fosway Group or the Learning Technologies or Learning Skills Group as well, uh, which has a big event in February, which again can become a bit of a beauty parade of suppliers. But actually, when you look at some of the, the resources or publications that they put out, of course, there's some, some useful nuggets. And I guess, and I'm sure Jane would agree, it's taking a balanced view of all of these expert experts in their field because they are slanted to their own particular um, thought or their own particular motivation at that time. So it really comes down to taking everything in balance. But you know, Burson for me is, is probably one that I look at. Yeah, most I, look at, I look at Burson too and I agree. Um, TED Talks, I guess. Of course, yes. Forbes at the high end, you might not want to spend your whole time on Forbes, but depending on what level you're at at the moment. And just, I think, just find your own way, actually. You know, if you put something to Google, you get a million hits. Find mm -hmm. the one that, that looks most in your style and most palatable to you, really, because everybody learns in a different way. Okay. Let's just bring it back, really, to the organisation. And particularly, Jane, you are trying to make those exciting, awesome, amazing workplaces. What are some of the things that you find if people don't have that drive to be self-directed about their own development? And they're kind of expecting the old sent on a course, provided e-learning. How do you get people excited and engaged? Um, I think it is absolutely about treating people as individuals. Mm -hmm. I think in the past, perhaps, people were sheep-dipped into things. And of course, you know, if people absolutely love sitting on training courses, you might want to ask why. Because, I mean, all the stats are that you just don't take the information in, it's not just in time enough, you know, you learn it six months and then you've forgotten it. It's not really effective, and I bet there are not many employers out there who really measure the impact of learning. I was with somebody the other day who said, oh, well, we measure it on how many classroom days we do in a year, which is an input and not an output, which is, in my view, quite the wrong way around it. Um, so I think it's just finding out what makes people tick you know, there, are, there are people who have been in a job for 30 years they don't want loads of learning but they might want to go and learn something that will help them in their personal life like Spanish or accounts or just something so I think it's about saying you know if you're happy where you are and you know your job inside out share it with others because that's satisfying and what else do you want to make you more rounded as a person and if they don't want anything they don't have to have anything which is why the whole sheep dipping thing is so wrong I, just a, a little anecdote, I worked with a client who asked some of those coaching directions that we've been alluding to of someone who was a gardener for them. And they're like, well, they didn't want to develop, did they? This is a gardener. And actually, this person has just taken over the responsibility for their bones club, a slightly more mature gentleman, never worked with Excel before, and now had to start using Excel spreadsheets. So through work, he was able to learn how to use Excel, and he was actually doing some of their more day-to-day -day transaction, data entry that needed to be done, so it helped the company by him doing it, but he was learning a new skill, and yes, getting from outside into the warm, you know, one or two days a week. So it was a real win for him, as a win for the company, so that classic win-win scenario, and it was very individual for his needs. But they only found that by asking him. Absolutely. They wouldn't have known. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why it's key to have this dialogue about your career and your aspirations and your development needs on an ongoing basis. Once a year isn't enough. I think you should have a career conversation once a year because it all gets lost of the way. But I think you also have to have an ongoing dialogue all the time so that you, you're always moving forward with it because you've got to, you know, people's circumstances, you know, turn on a sixpence these days, don't they? They've got to keep moving, keep moving. And it comes back to the point that Jane made around you know, having the assertiveness or the confidence perhaps to have that conversation and perhaps challenge the status quo or, or look at the culture or actually um, facilitate some of that change towards the culture. Because if, 
you can create a movement with like-minded individuals that's far more powerful to try and change something than it is a, a, a one person exactly. um, thought. And that's about the message the company puts out. Mm -hmm. You know, at the beginning of our technology, we always have that other video or something from the CEO saying, we want you to do well here, we want you to succeed. Tell us what it is you need and we'll make it happen for you, which is a very powerful statement and it doesn't have to be, you know, over-egged or terribly long. But if people know they can ask, they will ask. Mm. It's just that traditionally they weren't allowed to because yeah. you'd be shot down and sent off back to do whatever you were supposed to and do. And it was the sheep approach. approach. Yeah, how many people... When uh, I decide you should have learning, you shall have learning, yes. which is just and out, outdated. Absolutely, and it's very um, reminiscent of the old technology that was very prescriptive. Mm. You know, you had to go through this gate before you got to the next gate. Um, the traditional, you know learning management systems, the M of is all about management, it's a very process driven task, whereas now we're moving into the learning engagement systems and the learning experience systems, which is around espousing all of the things that we have done um, over this podcast today. Okay, one question, uh, put the spotlight on both of you for a moment, I always ask this question, is if you could go back in time and meet the young Jane or the young Daniel, what piece of advice would you give them about Taking control of their career, taking control of their own world. Yeah, I mean, for me, it would be about starting small because I think there's a danger of trying to run before you can walk. But I think you should then think big. What is it? And I think, you know, coming from school, coming from university, when we're asked the question, what do we want to be in life? You should really start to nourish and nurture that kind of thought process beyond your actual educational years into the workplace and, and keep to James point having that conversation and then it's about moving fast and by that I mean being quite agile and being receptive to change and also using change to your advantage um, because it does give you other opportunities that may not have presented themselves had you gone down a very rigid or hierarchical view and the term hierarchy now is actually moved to more wirearchy that because we're so interconnected and connected via social media platforms or LinkedIn platforms, whatever it may be, that actually the old saying, it's not what you know, but who you know, is very much borne out with that term wirearchy um, as, a, as a kind of another buzzword um, that we're hearing more and more of. I like James said earlier, you know, asking an employee, where do you want to be eventually? And you know, for that period of time, you want to be with us, how can we help you get there? Almost thinking that as a young person, where do I want to get to eventually? Mm -hmm. Talking to my nephew recently about GCSEs he's going to study, and I just wanted to make a point to your learning doesn't stop at 16 or 18, or mm -hmm. whatever age you might leave the formal system, it needs to carry on. I just have that mindset now that continuous learning and hopefully will be part of your life. So, Jane, well, I journey? was always quite brave and quite focused and a bit fearless, so I just sort of went and did it. I think I'd probably tell myself not to try and be perfect all the time because nobody is. I constantly say to the people who work for me, I mess up, you mess up, we just own it and move on, whereas I always used to beat myself up about it. And I think there's no point beating yourself up for getting stuff wrong because the world is too fast to get everything right. So. I think just uh, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. Really. And that's the continuous learning Absolutely. point that we're almost making here. It's about learning from those mistakes, not making the same mistakes twice, but actually yeah. learning, sharing yeah. that experience yeah. with others and actually moving on um, yeah. in the future. Marvellous. There was an earlier podcast in the series, which I think was the first one that Jane was being interviewed, and we talked more about employee engagement. So if that's piqued your interest today, I definitely recommend going back. Uh, and I'll put on the show notes what episode that was, and I'll just double check. But I think there's some really good um, pointers in there about how to create a really engaging 
amazing place to work. So that leads me just to say thank you to Jane suddenly and to Daniel Mills for their contributions today. Thanks guys. Thank you thank very you. much, we enjoyed it. So thanks again to Jane Sunley of Purple Cubed and Daniel Mills of The Working Manager for their participation in today's discussion. You'll find Jane and Daniel's contact details in the show notes if you'd like to contact them or obviously connect in LinkedIn. As ever, there's always some key takeaways from these conversations. And for me, I'd say it began with the Stephen Covey comment, uh, as Jane put it, I think, begin with the end in mind. Of course, as an individual, I think what that means is remain focused on what you want rather than what you don't want. Start small, keep it simple, and don't try to set out too many steps up front. And think about, you know, where am I now? What are my, what strengths can I have? How can I build upon them? And can I actually help someone else? Can I develop someone else to be better at those things that I'm good at? Of course, most of the conversation was really focused on the organization. And I think it was uh, key to me that it's so important that the development strategy itself isn't the rollout of the shiny new LMS or app. Technology is the enabler and it should never be, if you like, the end in mind itself. Don't make the tools the strategy was really one of the things that Daniel spoke about. And ultimately, they should be supporting and enabling people to achieve the business strategy rather than it being about that in its first place. Creating that place where people can go when they want to, however they want to, and not from a kind of top-down directive, this is how you will use it, was something that Jane was, was keen to stress, that stop the sheep dipping. Of course, technology can um, underpin the strategy and the culture, but again, as Jane said, no amount of technology is ever going to fix a poor culture. Uh, engagement, of course, is not about annual surveys, or at least some people still seem to think it is, but it is, as Jane described, making your people feel that they want to be there and to give their best performance. Daniel highlighted the importance of content being king, uh, but make it bite-sized, make it stuff that people can uh, access little and often. And uh, Jane's comment that encouraging people to share the thing you're best at uh, is so valuable because people enjoy learning from their peers and colleagues who are doing a similar role. And let's face it, there's a certain amount of credibility from them that someone from HR or L&D or even an external consultant maybe will never have. Ultimately, uh, technology can help with people in the driving seat, I suppose. Um, there's access to so much free content online as well as company contact uh, content and embrace that really. But ultimately, it will never replace that face-to-face -face development, the face-to-face conversation. I love that question that Jane referred to. Welcome to our business, but where do you want to go eventually career-wise and how can we help you to get there? A really good question to end on. So thanks again for listening to this episode of Multisite Masters. As ever, please do share the series with your colleagues and friends in any other multi-site organizations that you know. And if you get the chance, please, please, please do leave a review and rating for the series on iTunes or SoundCloud. It helps other people find the podcast series. And of course, we're all for sharing the love. Until the next episode of Multisite Masters, take care, everyone. <laughs>